Hi, and welcome to the Expansive Podcast. My name is Eric Kruger, and I hope that you are doing really well, that you are safe and that you are self-isolating and that you are ready for the lockdown that is about to happen. Uh, no matter where you are listening to in the world, I'm sure that there's a lockdown in place or coming in some shape or form. And we are here to keep you company right throughout the entire process. So what you're about to listen to is the very first episode in a series called Wartime CEO. So these will be episodes that we are releasing in between the usual programming that we have on the show. What it's about is really we have decided to go and find successful CEOs and leaders who are navigating these very challenging times in interesting and innovative ways. Because there's a lot of thought leadership out there that's telling us how to best approach um, the challenges that we are facing. But what is often more valuable and more useful is to actually see examples and, and listen to ideas from people that are executing on the ground. So that's exactly what we've done. And that's exactly what you can expect to hear on this podcast. Uh, the very first CEO that we have today is Garth from Silica. And he has done some incredible things. He's an incredible leader. So I'm really uh, happy to have him on as our very first uh, guest on the show. And there are many, many more to come. And John will also be joining in on the interviews that follow this one. So be safe, uh, get through the lockdown, and we'll chat again soon. We've had a long journey together, and it's been great to get to know you, Garth. And thank you for uh, for coming onto the podcast, for being the first one on, for doing the thing. <laughs> so maybe just to introduce yourself to whoever's going to be listening to this, um, who are you? What company are you in? Uh, what is the headcount? And what 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 is the business that you guys are in? Hi, Eric. Thanks. Uh, my name is Garth Smith. I'm CEO of Silica. We have around 500 people in our company. Uh, we are a financial services company that we supply third-party administration to asset managers. If uh, you're um, buying or selling a unit trust, our clients will send those instructions to us. We will process them, make sure that the payments happen and that the transactions are recorded. And then we run the technology in our data center to make that all happen. Okay, perfect. And to what extent have you guys been affected by what's been happening with COVID-19? It's a, I mean, it's, it's obviously, it's a tough time in the financial markets, which means that we have clients that are really relying on us to make sure we carry on processing because the one thing that we can't risk is that money stops flowing. Mm. Um, and so, so our reaction, first reaction is to, is to make sure that our operations remain stable. Um, you know, we, we're fortunate in that, you know, what we do is a requirement going forward. And um, I think there are some other businesses that are under more pressure because what they're doing, people don't need to do. So, so they're under the pressure. But at the same time, it's meant that, you know, we've had to keep operations going. Um, our reaction is to get people to start working from home. Um, mm. For for some of our staff, for about a quarter of our staff, that wasn't too difficult in, initially. But um, when you run a large administration business, you generally have people coming in to work on desktops. So we've ordered laptops for everybody. 
We've, we've ordered 3G cards because not everybody has um, internet access at home or sufficient internet access at home. And we're in the process, a very controlled process of rolling those out and getting more and more staff to be able to work from home. It's a goal that, you know, within uh, seven days from now, everybody should be working from home and will be fully operational. Mm. You know, if you say controlled process, can you elaborate on that a bit? What, you know, obviously it's a, it's so, a, so it's a very, undertaking. Yeah, so, so it's a matter of, so, so one of the things we did is we, we evaluated some risks. So, you know, with, with schools closing, you know, for, for parents, you know, there's a greater need for them to be at home sooner than others. And also for, for some of the team that need to use public transport. So we prioritized those people first in terms of who gets laptops and who needs to go home. But also we broke it up. We, we didn't send entire teams because we wanted to make sure that, you know, everything was working, that they could access the systems they need to, that they could process. So so it's been a very planned um, a rollout of that. Mm-hmm. And you, you're also saying that you guys were sending a certain amount of people home every time as part of the test, right? Did I understand that correctly? Yeah. Yeah, so, so what we do is um, each, each area has a plan as to, as to who will start working from home. So, so at the moment, we don't have any full team working from home. Um, uh, there's, there's people in the office and people at home because one of, the, one of the things that we've also had to take into account in South Africa that you know, is not necessarily the same everywhere else is load shedding. Mm. You know, not everybody has backup power at home. Uh, you know, our business runs entirely on, on technology. So, so people need to be up. So we also have had to get some UPS devices, which we, which we are sending out um, to people's homes to make sure that they can still operate. Um, if, if someone is hit and by load shedding, then the option is also to come into the office. But one of the other things we've also done is we've obviously taken personal hygiene very quickly. We have sanitizers on either side of all of our doors. We've stopped um, uh, as many meetings face-to-face. We, we use a, a system called Microsoft Teams. So even in the office, we are meeting digitally. In other words, people are sit at their desks and they use the video or the dialing um, facilities on Teams um, to avoid gatherings. We, we've also upped the, the number of um, cleaner, cleaning staff that we have to constantly be walking around and cleaning services. Mm. Um, even if there has to be a gathering. Okay. What do you think has been the, the most challenging part of transitioning to remote teams or, or to remote work? Yeah, I think it, it's just the, you know, to be honest with you, the, the, the biggest thing at the moment is the planning because we're in the transition. Mm. I think what's going to come out from this is, is how different that actually is. You know, um, if we use a, a fairly simple example at the moment, you know, if you're, if you're in a company or a corporate of any size, you'll have a lot of meetings during the day. Many people will arrive, half the people, are, uh, you know, also won't say anything. They're really there to listen. So now you want to do that differently. So we use Teams. You, you rather put a document on there. People can contribute to that on a collaborative basis and you actually have better recording. Um, so, so not everybody has to be in the meeting. If you record what happens, people can read it afterwards. So you need to think differently about, about how you're operating. That's the one side. The other side is, you know, it's it's much simpler to manage a team when you can see them. Mm. You know, I think there's there's a there's going to I think one of the 
really positive outcomes of this is going to be the way we can build trust differently in an organization because you have to have that trust. You have to be able to say, okay, I can't see you. I don't know what you're doing. I'm going to have to have a different way of checking on on your your output, but at the same token, I've, I've got to I've, I've got to start trusting that you are doing what you're doing. And I think you know the, the vast majority, of, you know, ninety nine percent of people, that's what they will do. I mean, they take pride in in their work. They know that they they have a commitment to the clients that we're serving, and you know, for people that have that in their culture, I think will will survive this as best they can. I actually think that um, you, you spot on with that in that when you are leading a virtual team, um, all the fundamentals still need to be there. We still need trust. We still need accountability. And when we can't see each other, like you're saying, then I think the flaws or the lack of will be exposed pretty quickly. And I was speaking to a client who was saying to me that um, they've transitioned to remote work and it actually has been really challenging for them because people are treating it like they're on a holiday or some people are like not changing out of their pajamas. So it, it almost requires um, a different level of maturity, I think, to have a team that really functions well in a remote kind of setting. Um, I think, yeah, I think, you know, what, what we're trying to, so, so we have a purpose at Silica called um, making investments accessible and, 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 and our values support that purpose. So, you know, that's what we are reminding everybody. That's that's our role in in the industry, and and when you link yourself to that purpose, and you link yourself to the fact that you know we we have metrics around how how, how we service our clients, I think people take that home, you know, and they mm. understand that there's still something to it. I think this is going to be, you know, a, a, a unplanned but very interesting test of of that culture. Is there a specific way in which you guys are going to be encouraging accountability or structure for people at home? Yeah. So, so I mean, one of the so we were we started with the online training program a while ago because we had to react to a different, you know, call it mini crisis in our, in our industry, and in, in that we a lot of our instructions came in via email or it was something it was a application form that someone had to do data capture on the process as the world's getting more digital you know the need for those kind of, for data captures is reducing and that's a journey we've been on for a, for a number of years and so so we went on an online learning program called the digital learning academy to give team members the ability to be able to upskill themselves I think you know. I, I think now we'll benefit a bit from that because mm. you know we had we have sixty plus percent of our team engaging in in one course or another at, at any time and and with a high completion rate. So what we're doing in this adjustment is, like for instance, you know, so suddenly teams as a as a system has become much more important because you don't have the face to face communication. You know, we we quickly put together a you know a little lesson on, on how to use Teams and, you know, the difference, the difference between a laptop and a desktop, those kind of things, and we, we roll in those out. I think because people are starting to get used to already using forms of online training, it will be better adopted. Mm. Uh, apart from using Microsoft Teams, is there any other specific applications that you guys are using that is making this transition a bit easier? 
Um, well, we, we try to keep Teams as the central one because okay. it's, you know, everybody in the company has, has access to it, but we use, use other things like Zoom for some external meetings because Teams is around internal uh, staff members in terms of, of, of access. Um, you know, there are backups like, uh, like WhatsApp mm-hmm. that, that we'll, we'll use. But you know, most a lot of our work is already in the form in that we'll, we have a workflow system that, that people use to get work around, um, and then we have things like Jira, which the IT guys will use to keep their backlogs and keep track of of the work and things that they're they're doing. So, I think when you're in a company that is, you know, has is, has a lot of technology in it, you you are in a way used to using some of these systems. Definitely. Okay, and so. If you know you guys have been on the journey for a little bit, um, it's been in the back of your mind that you guys are going to be transitioning to remote work at some point, and you know you've just been forced to do it a bit earlier. Um, if someone hasn't been thinking about this at all, you know they like they've just been going about their their day to day, you know, at the office, and all of a sudden they now have to also start thinking about digital or remote work. What would you say would be, would be the first thing that they need to be thinking about um, for the transition? Well, I think, you know, the, the first thing is you have to wrap your mind around a different way of leading people. There, there's no doubt. I mean, if, you, if you're in a very high command and control kind of environment, I think the transition is going to be tougher. Um, you, and, and if that control environment is larger around, it is not on very defined metrics, um, that's the first place I think you need to do because mm-hmm. if you don't have people around you that so, so if it's a lot of people in the office you can often gauge what's going on by, by what's happening there now now you need better metrics you need to be able to know what your volumes are where they are what the completion rates are but also what what's getting logged you know the kind of things that that you can find out almost in passing when, when you see people every day so it's really think about what are the metrics and how can you get them to to know what the health of the companies or the services that that you're providing the second thing in in South Africa is really is really infrastructure. You know, um, you've got to think. You know, we've got to be careful that we don't make assumptions about the infrastructure that people have access to mm. at home. You know, in a normal if this was a normal situation, I think you could plan it quite well. You know, at the moment we've got large corporates converting to this at the same time. You know, just getting access to to some of the equipment that you need. You know, people are already going on on waiting lists, and 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 you know, if you're doing it all in one go, you've got a capital outlay that you also need to plan mm. for. Cool. Listen, I think that's that's great advice. What I'd like to quickly do, just sort of towards the end of the podcast, is to just get into the decision making process. Um, so it's been great to hear what you guys have done, and uh, well done on moving so quickly. But, uh, you know, many of the decisions that we have to make at this time, it, it's quite difficult to make. Um, and there's, there's a lot of overwhelm, there's a lot of anxiety, and all these things end up clouding the way that we make decisions. And for many people, they become paralyzed. They don't know what to do next. Others, I think, overemphasize the, the next decision. And because they feel like it's such a big deal, that paralyzes them. So, you know, many different factors influencing the next decision that we are going to make. How did you go about making the decisions that you've made? Um, and I know it's, it's a very broad question, but what informed your decision-making in terms of what needed to happen next for 
silica? So I think the first thing that you have to recognize that, you know, you're, you're operating in different times. You know, and Ben Horowitz, um, and I think he got this from Andy Grove, has a saying or, or has a concept around wartime and peacetime CEOs. And, and basically, it's a, you know, you, you need to transition. If, if things are normal and you, you know, the environment is fairly stable, you're in the peacetime kind of space. But as soon as something changes and triggers a big impact on your own business, the environment, or you know, what's happening across you know, globally, you need to, I believe, change into the wartime. And, and that means you need to adjust how you're doing things. And in peacetime, you can be a lot more collaborative. You can, you can be a lot more considered. You know, in, in the wartime basis, you need to be making decisions a bit quicker, maybe not with as much consultation. And, and you need to recognize that the kind of decisions you'd make in peacetime. So, example, we had to order a, a high number of, of laptops. You know, that's going to, that, that has a cash flow impact. You, know, you have to spend the money. Um, you know, they're more expensive to run than, than our desktops. You know, so in, in normal conditions, you'd say, well, you know, it's, I, I need to meet some of my financial numbers. I'm not going to do that. Mm. Now you need to look and say, I'm not going to try and solve that. I've got to do something now. And the sooner I make this decision, the better. Yes, it, you know, it's going to have a short-term impact. I can get through the cycle and, and I can come out the other side. Um, I think in, in terms of getting your, your mind around that, it, it's, it's almost, I've been watching the reaction to this and, you know, it's like you have to remain calm, but you have to take some actions as if there's panic. And, mm. you know, I listen to people saying, oh, but, you know, you can still go out. Let's get together. It's only five of us. No, you know, make it. The decision is you don't want to be the next node on the network of, of people spreading this. So, so rather say, right, we're going to cut it. You know, really, I, I really have to come into work until I've got, you know, the entire team working from home, we still have to go to the shop. So why extend that into another social um, interaction? And I think, so it's like, it's, it's acting like there's a, there's a proper threat, but trying to remain calm in how you're making your decisions while you're facing that threat. Mm. What was the hardest decision that you had to make, had to make during this time? I think, and I don't, I think the, the, the decision, you know, if you said that's, that's keeping me awake at night is that, you know, I would have loved to have just sent everybody home straight away and mm. just said, you know, look after your families. But, but as I said, we, we, we process billions of rands of transactions a, a day. You know, people are withdrawing from the investments. They need to know, they need to have trust in our clients that, you know, they put their money there when they need it, they can, they can take it out. Um, so, so the hardest decision is, you know, is actually every day facing, right, let's keep this as controlled as possible. And it's, you know, we need to come into work. We take as many precautions as we can and, and, and just stick to the course of a, a controlled rollout of our work at home strategy. Okay. And was there any decision that you've made that has not been popular? Um, I, maybe no one's told me that I've made an unpopular decision. <laughs> there's, there's always that. No, you know, I think I send out, I've sent out a number of communications to to my team, and you know, the the main thing is I've just been unbelievably grateful as to how they've pulled together, how people are remaining calm, 
you know, understanding, saying, you know, yes, we'd love to have had everything ready to work from home immediately, but there, there is a, a process. Um, so, so I think it's rather than unpopular decisions, I think there's been some that, that we maybe need to have to recognize. They need to just be communicated clearly. Mm. You know, when people get an understanding of that, um, you know, and then there's been an acceptance. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, probably one of the most important things that's come out in, in, in these difficult times is the importance of over-communicating to a certain extent and making sure that everyone is in the loop and that people also feel that like there's some level of empathy in the communication and that it isn't just that we are changing everything, but that we are also taking you into account and we are taking your family into account. And, you know, that's why I, I, I like what you were saying about the prioritization and understanding that certain people perhaps need to go home a bit earlier and need to be transitioned earlier. And that that was part of the considered process of how you guys are going about um, creating these sort of remote work uh, environments for your teams. Yeah. yeah, I think it's, you know, I think this is a time when I don't even think people that look back on it will be able to apply hindsight into was every decision correct and, and uh, you know, was there an overall underreaction? I think it's going to be a very difficult time to get. And we know we're at the beginning of it. Um, mm you know, not, not the end. Um, I think probably one of the hardest things going forward is maintaining calm and, and filtering out the fake news from the real news, because there are definitely people out there, unfortunately, who are profiting off this. Um, and I think there are companies that are going to come out with reputations that are going to shine and those that are going to be a bit dented, if not broken because of trust that might have been broken during the, during this time. We've, we've experienced that. We've experienced people making promises and then letting, uh, letting us down. And we've experienced people going, you know, to unbelievable lengths to try to help us out to get stuff on site that we need. And, and th that will be remembered for a long time. Mm. Listen, to wrap us up, um, what has been your biggest learning just from the bit of uh, time that you've had to manage through this pandemic already? You know, I think never underestimate uh, people. You know, um, the, we have a resilient nation uh, built not not by not on purpose, I think, but by what we've experienced. And I think we can handle this better than many other countries because of that. We definitely have challenges. You know, um, I think, you know, in the, in the poorer communities and access to healthcare, I'd be really concerned there. But, but I think the learning is, you know, if you can remain calm and communicate clearly, people will listen and they they want to do the right thing and you need to just trust them mm. and you'll get the result. And what would your um, sort of closing thoughts be for fellow CEOs who have to make difficult decisions during this time? Uh, you know, anything specific that you would say that they need to think about or consider in making those decisions um, and taking, you know, actions that are uncommon. You know, I, th you know, I think there are so many different scenarios across different 
um, companies. You know, if if you're a clothing retailer versus a food retailer versus someone in financial services, I think you're facing fundamentally different challenges. I think the main thing throughout this is just to try and remain as human as possible and, and to keep the empathy level up as as high as you can mm. because you know, at the end of the day whether we we like it or not you know everybody is looking upwards and and the tone of how we react and what what happens i think is set there you know I, i'm connected to a, a higher number of, of ceos and i can I, I genuinely believe that is most people's reaction to this i can see a lot of goodwill going out there at the same mm. time as people are genuinely stressed out about about what's going to happen and how long this is going to last uh listen goth thank you so much for taking the time uh to have a chat to me today i i always find speaking to you very insightful um and well done for the action that you guys have taken and, and how you've um handled this crisis i think what's what kind of struck me you know so obviously I wanted you to be on the podcast first because you also inspired this podcast for me after we had a chat um, earlier in the week. And what just sort of pops on me is that there's a very high likelihood that this podcast is going to be called Wartime CEO because it's also in reference to uh, Ben Horowitz. Um, I think it was, was it Ben Horowitz or was it, it was, it was Ben Horowitz. Yeah, he wrote a he wrote a blog on it, but yes. in that blog he he refers to Andy Grove's book, um, "Only the Paranoid Survive." Yes, it's, it's from the nineties. A very interesting book to read. Um, and Andy Grove was heading up Intel. Yes, okay. It was their switch from the memory business to the, to the microprocessing business. Yes, yes. So, so I, I wanted to call this podcast "Wartime CEO," and what what is interesting to me is how empathy has such an important role to play and wartime CEO sounds like this, you know, it's going to be this horrendous sort of dictator like CEO that's going to cut people down. And, but I think ultimately, you know, in, in the time that we are in being empathetic is actually quite an important thing for a wartime CEO to embody. I think now more than ever, because, Mm. you know, a lot of the scenarios that they, that they discuss, you know, or that the wartime CEO concept was based on is, is, is around competitor threats or changes that are happening in your industry. What we have to recognize here is we, we're facing something that's impacting people's lives at home. The mm. concern of their families, you know, the concern of their friends. Uh, it's it's much broader than just the impact to our businesses, and you know, at the moment. Listen, thank you so much again for your time. Uh, it's been really insightful, and I and I think it's going to help many people to navigate through. Um, what is a difficult time for all of us. So thank you for that. It's a pleasure, Eric. It's always, always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you.